You're going to love this. Just love it. in the middle with you delighted about it right here live on kpfk in los angeles this is your bradcast i'm brad friedman your friendly citizen investigative blogger journalist troublemaker muckraker all around swell fellow from bradblog.com says me Broadcasting live on 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM, Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, Stitcher app, TuneIn app, Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, and live on Liberal Justice Radio. Glad you could join us this afternoon. Glad I can be here with you. And, of course, we will have, for the next uh, 58 minutes, nonstop coverage of the royal baby. Every detail down to the molecular uh, composition of the royal placenta and whatever else, whatever we can bring. Not really. Uh, No, seriously, for the next 58 minutes, nonstop coverage of Anthony Weiner and his latest scandal, his latest sexting scandal. We will cover it from every angle that you... No. Not really. Not really at all. Back to covering things that matter. Uh, we're going to, uh, in truth, be talking uh, some more about uh, the NSA and our surveillance state, as we have been now for for uh, for a couple of months since the disclosures of former NSA contractor Edward Snowden. Very interesting, very powerful speech Yesterday at the uh, Center for American Progress by Senator Ron Wyden, who has for years now, frankly, been trying to get our attention about what is going on uh, inside the NSA, inside the surveillance uh, state, that the, this massive secret surveillance state and, and the secret laws that we now have. He's been trying to get our attention to that. Finally, Edward Snowden has helped get the nation's and indeed the world's attention. We're going to be talking about that. And I'm going to want to know, frankly, does anybody care? Do you care? Because I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure that people do. And I don't know if it's because they don't understand it or if because they simply don't care. Uh, Particularly if you don't care, I'd love to hear from you. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818-985-KPFK. We're also going to have some news on um, this, just this absolute mess, this absolute assault on voting rights that is going on right now as we speak in North Carolina. And we're going to talk about uh, eight top election officials from Kentucky 
who just got a uh, get-out-of-jail-free card despite being sentenced to 156 years for election fraud. I will explain all of that straight ahead. But first, uh, President Barack Obama had a uh, what he billed, in any case, as a major, as a very important, as a you're-not-going-to-want-to-miss-this speech this afternoon on the economy at Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois. Uh, it was uh, sort of, a, my take on it, sort of a, a populist pep speech for the middle class and for uh, his his attempts at new policies for the middle class. He talked about having good jobs, good education, uh, your own secure retirement, better health insurance. He said he would focus his energies on an economy that grows from the middle out, not from the top down. And along the way, he chided Republicans saying you can't just be against everything. You've got to be for something. Seemed a little bit uh, light to me when it came to specifics, but maybe I missed something. Maybe uh, my guest here can help me out. David Dayen is formerly uh, the uh, chief of the news desk, news desk at uh, Fire Dog Lake. Uh, he is now uh, what I like to uh, call, uh, unless he's got a, a a new gig, I like to call him a uh, economic policy uh, reporter and muckraker at large. How's that? Hey, David, David Day, and welcome, Hi, sir, to Brad. the welcome to the broadcast. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm okay. All right. Did I? Uh, uh, you know, I watched the speech. Uh, the The White House was advertising this as a major speech, the first in a series uh, this summer on the economy. And uh, you're you're not going to want to miss this speech. I was told. Well, I watched it and. Uh, now I kind of feel I had. Uh, I wish I had missed it, David. What did I miss? What was the important policy announcement uh, that uh, the president shared with the nation this afternoon? I guess you missed the part where they tricked you and got you to pay attention. <laughs> uh, this this was uh, basically a rehash of a bunch of uh, older ideas uh, that that you we've seen in the uh, inaugural address second inaugural we saw them in the in the state of the union you can go all the way back to 2012 and a speech he gave in uh, Sawatomi Kansas uh that that sort of had a populist edge to it uh they, they you know you can do one speech you could do 10 speeches uh and it it none of it will be uh, uh, able to amount to much as long as you have Republicans in control of the House of Representatives and with far different ideas on economic policy. Um, you know, one the the big thing that was missing from this speech mm-hmm. is the one thing that the president will be able to do, which will have the most wide-ranging effect on the economy uh, over the next two to four years, and that is naming a chairman of the Federal Reserve. Uh, with fiscal policy basically stuck, uh, there is no one speech, there are no ten speeches, there are no a hundred speeches mm-hmm. that will do anything uh, that will be as important as that one decision that the president is going to make, which is to name a chairman of the Fed. And uh, right now, apparently, Larry Summers is uh, in the in the lead for that, which is incredible. Larry Summers, who who helped uh, uh, gut Glass Steagall during the uh, during the Clinton administration, he seems now there hasn't been any official announcement, right? This is sort of a, a floated a trial balloon that they're putting out there to see how much uh, kickback they get uh, in, in return for uh, naming Larry Summers to head the Fed. Yeah, I would say, and uh, in and from what I've seen, the sort of liberal base, whatever that is left in in Washington, has their hair on fire about this. Uh, 
that that this has happened, that Summers has, has taken to the fore uh, of, of what was initially sort of a, a, a one-man Summers-led campaign to become chairman of the Fed, mm-hmm. uh, over the expected pick, Janet Yellen, who is current vice chair, um, and the way in which that this is seems to be going down, which is very gender-coded, very much uh, uh, she's not strong enough to be the Fed chair. Uh, she won't earn the trust of uh, people in the financial markets. Uh, very coded uh, kind of way in which White House officials are are pushing Summers over over Yellen uh, that in in ways that should really be troubling. What what happens, um, David Dayan, if you have someone uh, who doesn't earn the trust of the markets in charge of the Fed? Does that have a direct economic policy a, a, a ramification, or are they just mean to her, or they ignore no, her? I mean, I, what, what does I, it matter? When you're talking about trust, I think that the code there is that we don't trust that Janet Yellen will actually bail us out if we get into trouble. Right. Uh, and yet we trust, we very much trust Larry Summers that uh, he will he will do his best to not only deregulate the financial markets, but uh, pick up the pieces by... Fixing it uh, for us uh, if we if we abuse that deregulatory impulse. All right, the the uh, possible uh, new head of the Fed uh, aside, which is as you rightly bring up, very troubling and something that he didn't mention. Uh, President Obama did not mention at all in the speech today. Let me just run through very quickly uh, some some points here that I tried to take notes while watching this speech. Um, uh, he, he wants to make preschool available for every four year old in America. Connect ninety nine percent of American students to high speed internet over the next five years. Uh, something that he says is already underway, redesign high schools for a high-tech economy, retrain workers for high-tech jobs, ask Congress to create new community college programs, ask CEOs to hire workers who have been laid off, um, will says he will use his office to discuss to discuss the soaring cost of higher education, make college education affordable for every American willing to work for it, uh, reform home ownership, refi, and mortgage rules to take advantage of rates while they are low, uh, secure retirements because the rich get incentives to save, to save, but workers enjoy none of those incentives. He says he quote wants to free the middle class from fear they won't be able to retire, and finally raise the minimum wage because it's lower right now than it was when Ronald Reagan took office. Anything uh, in that list that either I missed or that is actually new and would be a reason to turn into this uh, new speech coming from the president today. No, it's not all that new, and in, in fact, uh, some of it is pretty dated. I mean, if you're talking about refinancing to take advantage of low rates, uh, what's missing there is the fact that since May 22nd and the, and the Fed, you know, here's the Fed again, when they said they would taper their purchases of mortgage-backed securities, mortgage interest rates have gone up almost two points since May 22nd in just a span of, of a couple months. And uh, those refi, uh, the, the, the option of refi, the attractiveness of refinancing, is completely gone. I mean, the refi boom has ended, uh, and that's because it just simply doesn't make financial sense anymore for people at 6% to refi into a loan that's at 5% and have to pay all the closing costs and fees so that it all washes out. Uh, this is no longer an option that's going to save people thousands of dollars a year, as he said today. And it just shows that this speech was just 
this sort of rehash. I mean, I guess it was done for a political point because we're going to have these debates on the budget and the debt ceiling coming up, Mm -hmm. and he wanted to sort of show that he cared about the economy, whereas he's going to show over the next couple months that Republicans don't because they're going to try to hold the economy hostage again for more budget cuts. Uh, but it wasn't even uh, fully updated. It seems like the the the, the ideas were were just sort of brought in from 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 past proposals and things. That doesn't mean they're bad ideas. Some of them are very good ideas. Uh, but uh, it it doesn't considering the gridlock in Washington, considering the fact that many of these are already down the path that Obama wants to take them. You know, he talked about uh, uh, broadband. He's, he's already you know. For fulfilling that, in his view, uh, it, it doesn't add up to uh, much that that's going to be acted upon. Uh, that's new. Yeah, and that's what it, it sort of reminded me of the uh, climate speech that he gave a few weeks ago. Um, you know, a, an impressive speech, a lot of things to be in favor of, but sort of short on the the specifics, short on uh, any idea of how he's going to get them done, other than doing those things that he can do with his executive powers. And he did, in fact. Uh, talk about that today, saying that, it look, if Congress won't work with me, I will do what I can within my powers that do that, that does not require Congress. Right. I mean, I think I think a lot of the speech was sort of message, I care. Uh, right. It was just, uh, you know, just being out in the open and saying that you care about the economy, which is, you know, something a president should probably do. Um, <laughs> as far as these executive... Pretty actions, low bar, David. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty low bar, yeah. but... But, you know, I mean, we have a Congress that is uh, more interested in incinerating the economy than uh, uh, doing ste- taking steps to sort of uh, get us out this, of this sort of muddling through that we've been having over the last three years. So uh, as, as far as executive actions go, uh, some of these things would have more weight if they weren't contradicted by the programs and policies that uh, the president was already putting forward. For example, on student loans. He says he wants to make uh, college more affordable. Uh, the president has been at the forefront of this emerging deal between Democrats and Republicans that really will raise student loan interest rates. I mean, they, they are going to, over time, particularly because of rising interest rates, there's the Fed again, mm-hmm. uh, because the student loan rate will now be tied to the market, tied to the 10-year Treasury bond rate. Over time, as the economy improves, that rate's just going to get higher and higher and higher. And uh, uh, this is what the president endorses as a bold and, and impressive compromise. So, so uh, I mean, the rhetoric gets kind of empty when you relate it to the actions. Uh, and, and that's just one example. Indeed, it does, uh, David. Da- and, and to be fair, you're right. Uh, the, the the people he, that he has to work with on the other side of the aisle, Eric Cantor, for example, sure. released today three ways to immediately grow jobs and strengthen the middle class in response to uh, to Obama's speech. Uh, point number one, approve the Keystone Pipeline because the right. failure of the administration to authorize the pipeline is costing... And Desi Doyen, you're going to like this. We'll talk about this later. The failure to authorize the pipeline is costing us 20,000 direct and 100,000 indirect jobs. All pretend jobs. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the real number is more like 80. Yeah. I think over time. 80 total, not 80,000, yeah. just 80. No, 
right. 80. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Unbelievable. David Dayen, uh, thank you uh, for uh, checking in with us here. And uh, I, I, I might uh, ring your phone here as the summer moves forward and as we have more of these uh, economic speeches from the president uh, that he's promised, just, you know, in the event that uh, one of them actually means anything and offers any policy that actually matters. How's that? <laughs> Sounds good. I, I won't hold my breath. Thanks, David. Well, by the way, where do I point folks now to find you? Uh... Absolutely. Uh, if you go to davedan.com, every link to the various places where I, I write for Salon, New Republic, and things like that, uh, you can find them at davedan.com. Dave Dayen. dot com. Uh, great to talk to you, David. I suspect we'll be doing it again soon. Thanks. All right, brother. That's David Dayen. Check out him and his work. Uh, excellent work, by the way, uh, as he mentioned at uh, Salon and New Republican elsewhere um, on the mess that is our uh, <laughs> our economy and our economic policy these days. DaveDayen.com. All right. Uh, turning the page here to what I had initially hoped and planned to cover today, uh, Senator Ron Wyden. Uh, gave a, uh, a policy speech, an important speech, I think, at least to those who paid attention, to those who weren't watching the uh, the uh, Andrew, oh, what's his name, Wiener uh, nonsense yesterday and the baby nonsense yesterday. Some stuff that actually mattered from uh, U.S. Senator Ron Wyden, Democrat from Oregon, who's been on the uh, Intelligence Committee since 2001. I want to play some of those clips since no one ever heard them, apparently, other than me. Uh, and then we'll talk about them. And I want to hear from you at 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. You can also tweet me, by the way, at the Brad blog uh, about these issues of national uh, of NSA surveillance, the surveillance state. You know, uh, when Edward Snowden's uh, disclosures first came out, there was a lot of brouhaha and everybody said, oh, this is endangering our national security. And other people said, well, it's about time that we found out what is really going on. And in fact, Senator Ron Wyden has said he had been trying for years to get the message out about the difference between the secret, I'm sorry, the public policy, the public laws that we have, like the Patriot Act, and the secret interpretations of those laws. And yet, you know, here we are a few weeks later, and does anybody care? Uh, Or are they just too busy and too distracted by all of the stuff and nonsense? And not just stuff and nonsense, but stuff that actually matters. Out in North Carolina, for example, where they are fighting like hell for the right to vote uh, against one of the worst assaults on voting rights, probably the worst assaults on uh, voting rights that we've seen in this country in 50 years. Is that just too much? Uh, We've got to keep our eyes on that. Is there just too much to follow, too much to distract us? Or do you really not care about this massive surveillance state? Uh, This is a discussion that needs to happen. I suspect it's because people don't really know what's going on. And I suspect we still don't know what's going on. I suspect there's going to be much more on this to come. But let's play a little bit of Senator Ron Wyden. Uh, at the um, Center for American Progress yesterday, uh, finally able to talk about some of these programs in the wake of the uh, Edward Snowden disclosures. When the Patriot Act was last reauthorized, I stood on the floor of the United States Senate and said, I want to deliver a warning this afternoon. 
when the American people find out how their government has interpreted the Patriot Act, they are going to be stunned and they are going to be angry. From my position on the Senate Intelligence Committee, I had seen government activities conducted under the umbrella of the Patriot Act that I knew would astonish most of our people. At the time, Senate rules about classified information barred me about giving out any specifics. And so we come, came to describe what was going on as essentially secret law. A secret interpretation of the Patriot Act issued by a secret court that authorizes secret surveillance programs. Programs that I and several colleagues thought went far beyond the intent of the statute. Now, if that's not enough to give pause, then consider that not only were the existence of and the legal justification for these programs kept completely secret from the American people, senior officials from across the government were making statements to the public about domestic surveillance that were clearly misleading statements and it sometimes they were simply false. Sometimes they were simply false. Indeed, they were. Uh, James Clapper, the uh, director of the uh, National Intelligence, we've played this clip, but I think you need to hear it, actually. I think it can't be heard enough by the American people. Uh, James Clapper, the director of National Intelligence, was testifying under oath in Congress uh, and answering a question of Senator Wyden back in March of this year. Here's what he had to say when he was asked a very direct question about what it is the NSA does. What I wanted to see is if you could give me a yes or no answer to the question, does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not? Not wittingly. There are cases where they could in inadvertently perhaps uh, collect, but not, not wittingly. All right. And at the time that Clapper lied to the senator, lied under oath in Congress, of course, uh, Senator Ron Wyden knew that he was lying. And that was back in March. But, of course, he couldn't say anything because of the way our laws work and because the senators, even though Wyden has been on the U.S. Uh, the select Senate Select uh, Committee on Intelligence since 2001, he can't come out and say when he's lying. He can't talk about classified programs. So the director of the uh, NSA, of, I'm sorry, director of National Intelligence blatantly lied. And is there any accountability at all? Any at all? Uh, Senator Carl Levin said that the president ought to fire him. He said, I guess that's the only way to do that, to hold him accountable is for the president to somehow or other fire him. I think he's made it clear that he regrets saying what he said. I don't want to call on the president to fire him, although I'm troubled by this, says Senator Carl Levin, Democrat from Minnesota. Why not? Why not call on him to be fired? If I showed up at Congress, if I was testifying to the Senate and blatantly lied, would I be held accountable for that? 
Now, uh, Clapper, uh, when when Levin says that, uh, oh, I guess he feels bad about it, uh, I'm not so sure he does. Here's what he said in response uh, after uh, Snowden's disclosures came out in June and it became clear that Clapper blatantly lied. I have great respect for Senator Wyden. I thought, though, in retrospect, I was asked, when are you going to start stop beating your wife kind of question, which is meaning not... Um, answerable necessarily by a simple yes or no. So I responded in what I thought was the most truthful or least untruthful manner by saying no. The most truthful or least untruthful manner by saying no. Unbelievable. And of course, had it not been for Edward Snowden, we wouldn't even be having this discussion right now. It's only because those disclosures came forward in June that Clapper was forced to admit he was lying about the fact that we are uh, taking the uh, the records, at least the metadata records, who you called, when you called, how long you, you called them, from every single American in every single instance, every single phone call. But do you care? Does it matter? We don't yet know for certain, and this is one of the things I hope we will find out in the weeks ahead, we don't yet know for certain if they, you know, if they actually get the information from those calls, the calls themselves, if those are being stored, and if those are being listened to, we know they have in the past. We heard uh, some years ago that you know, the NSA was listening in on, on sex talk between uh, soldiers, troops, and their, and their families that were uh, out in Iraq. So we don't even know the extent of all of this. But again, do you care? Does it matter? Ron Wyden says that this is an, a very important moment. And if the discussion does not continue here, uh, we may live to regret it. If we do not seize this unique moment in our constitutional history to reform our surveillance laws and practices, we are all going to live to regret it. Will we? Or do we just not care? Do we just not care? Because now, oh, it's a Democrat in office. So we trust him. He's uh, President Obama. He's not George W. Bush. And do you folks realize that anything the President Obama does now will be allowed for the next president of the United States, no matter who that is, no matter if it's President Liz Cheney or anyone else? Do you care? 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. I'll play a little bit more of Ron Wyden in a bit here, but let me uh, let me take some thoughts from you. Matt in Topanga. Welcome, sir, to the broadcast. Oh, thank you uh, so much. And, uh, yeah, I guess the NSA, we can now say, actually stands for Neo-Stasi Apparati. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, but it, it, and oddly enough, these revelations are sort of encouraging because we realize that the clumsy, nefarious forces that have basically, you know, hijacked this, this nation and, and prevent us from being at any resemblance of a democracy, mm-hmm. it, it's beginning to really slip through their fingers. I love these quotes from Jimmy Carter and other people from within uh, coming out to rail against it. So I think what we're really seeing is we are going to see a crumbling empire and the rise of a republic, and I'm optimistic about this. 
and uh, and I don't feel deluded in my optimism. That's a, yeah, that's an incredibly optimistic way to look at it, Matt. I hope, by the way, I hope you're right. I just wonder uh, how long it is going to take because I've heard that uh, the empire is crumbling now uh, for the past decade, and uh, yeah, it does seem to be uh, falling apart. But uh, people don't seem to be uh, hitting the streets. They don't seem to be uh, troubled about it. On the other hand, and by the way, if you are one of those people who are not troubled by this. Please give me a call. Tell me why. Why I shouldn't worry. Uh, 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. If you don't uh, mind at all that the uh, NSA is uh, tracking every single phone call made by every single American, whether they are uh, you know, suspected of a crime or not. On the other hand, uh, American voters say 55 to 34 percent that Edward Snowden is a whistleblower rather than a traitor. I take that as a as a good sign, according to a recent Quinnipiac University national poll. In a massive shift in attitude, voters say 45 to 40 percent that the government's anti-terrorism efforts go too far in restricting civil liberties. That's a reversal from January 2010 uh, when voters said 63 to 25 that such activities didn't go far enough to adequately protect the country. Almost every party, this is interesting, almost every party, gender, income, education, age, and income group regards Snowden as a whistleblower rather than a traitor. The lone exception is black voters, with 43% calling him a traitor and just 42% calling him a whistleblower. Okay, let's go to uh, Nepi in L.A. Uh, hey, welcome to the broadcast, Nepi. Yeah, the name is Nepi, and Nepi to uh, talk to Mr. Brad, first time caller, but long time listener. And Thank fan. you, sir. Um, I was wondering, have you ever heard of the carnivore program? Uh, carnivore program isn't that what uh, eventually became the Total Information Awareness Program, if I, if I recall correctly. Which kind of makes my point that. Um, my dear old dad was an officer and military policeman. Yeah. And back in the 70s, he used to, like, be so excited that he could tell me what brand of cigarettes somebody was smoking on the streets of Moscow. And the Office of Naval Intelligence, they've been doing all this stuff since the 1940s, but they're like, instead of the NSA or CIA, they're like the the secret spies. But were they? But were they doing it? Uh, were they able to tell us what brand of cigarettes we were smoking on the streets of Cleveland, or yeah. was it just Every yeah? electronic communication? Uh huh. Um, I guess the biggest computers are in Kuala Lumpur, but anyway, they run it all through computers, and you know the way it feeds up. And um, you're right about that. Uh, the, the way these programs would keep morphing from the carnivore program to paper, you know, yeah. on and on and on. Anyway, keep up the good work, my friend. Thanks, and, Nita. Uh, I, I appreciate I Thank you, sir. I appreciate the call. 818-985-5735. 818 985 
5735 uh, here. And we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back uh, in a bit for some more of your calls. But uh, here is how the government justifies sucking up all of your phone records, according to Timothy Lee yesterday at The Washington Post. Uh, He writes, until recently, the National Security Agency treated the existence of its phone records program, which sweeps up the calling records of tens of millions of innocent Americans, as a closely held secret. But Edward Snowden's disclosure of a court order authorizing the program forced the government's hand. To justify the program, the government needs to surmount two legal hurdles. First, it has to convince the courts that the program is authorized by Section 215 of the Patriot Act, which allows the government to obtain records that are relevant to a terrorism investigation. And second, it must convince the courts that the program is consistent with the Fourth Amendment which protects Americans against unreasonable searches. Now, it might seem, uh, writes uh, Tim Lee, it might seem like the Patriot Act's relevance requirement bars the government from seeking the phone records from millions of Americans who have no connection to terrorism. But the Obama, uh, the Obama administration argues otherwise. Quote, to identify potential terrorist communications requires collecting and storing a large volume and high percentage of information about unrelated communications, the government contends. In the government's view, collecting every American's calling record is the only way to ensure that the much smaller subset of terrorist-related telephony metadata records are contained within the data set. In other words, if we don't collect everything that ever existed at any time, it might disappear because the phone companies won't keep it and we might need to go back to it at some point. That seems to be in uh, in just the strict contradiction of what the Supreme Court has found over the years that you can't, uh, you know, randomly collect information just in case someone someday commits a crime. But that's the argument that the government made under George Bush. That's the argument that the government continues to make under Barack Obama. Nine, I'm sorry, 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. I'm a little lamb who's lost in the wood. I know I could always be good to one who'll watch over me. Yeah, NSA's watching over everyone. You're listening to the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. A quick break and more of your calls and the assault on voting rights in North Carolina. Election fraudsters uh, may be freed in Kentucky. And, of course, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. All of that is straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Won't you tell him, please, to put on some speed? Follow my lead.
Blackfish is an eye-opening documentary which unravels the complexities of our relationships with orcas, beloved as majestic giants soaring out of the water at theme parks, yet feared for their reputation as killer whales. Utilizing shocking, never-before-seen footage and riveting interviews with trainers and research experts to reveal the species' cruel treatment in captivity, it also shows the growing disillusionment of workers who were misled and endangered by the profitable sea park industry. Following the story of Tilikum, whose killed a number of trainers, this emotionally wrenching film considers our relationship to nature and reveals how little we've learned about these highly intelligent and enormously sentient mammals. Blackfish opens on Friday, July 19th at the Landmark, 10850 West Pico Boulevard in Los Angeles. A very limited number of tickets have been offered to KPFK Film Club members who are invited to call the front desk at 818-985-2711-0 for operator for a pair of tickets good Monday through Thursday only. And if you aren't already a Film Club member, please consider joining at kpfk.org. Yep, I'm watching you, you're watching me, we're watching out for everyone, and the NSA is watching all of us right here on the Bradcast. Brad Friedman of bradblog.com taking your calls on uh, on the NSA surveillance. And uh, do we really care? 818-985-5735. Do we care that we're being watched? Or do we uh, now feel like we're safe? Let's go to Barbara in uh, in L.A. Barbara, welcome to the Bradcast. Hi, I have to, I have a comment. First of all, I don't like being spied on. I can't stand it. But two of my friends that I discussed it with, one thinks, well, what's the big deal? His life's so boring anyway. And then the other one, who's African-American, she thinks that, well, it'll protect her from white supremacists because they'll get all that information and go after the white supremacists. So... I have to say I really disagree with both of them. Well, listen, if, if you have a white supremacist, if, if the notion is that this particular white supremacist is committing some crime, and by the way, being a white supremacist is, is not a crime. It may be loathsome, but it's not a crime. But if they are you know, actively uh, planning a crime, something along those lines, if there's reason to suspect them, that's one thing. Then you go, you get a warrant, and you listen to them or whatever you need to do. Or you go ahead and listen to them and then go get your warrant because you can usually uh, get warrants from these secret courts after you've already uh, tapped someone. But uh, next time your friend, Barbara, uh, the one who says, uh, I've got nothing to worry about, I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong, so I don't care, uh, find out what her, is it a, a her or he, Barbara? A he. A he, yeah. Find out what his email address is and what his password is for that email, and then uh, give us a call uh, next week on, on the broadcast, and, and we'll just go ahead and broadcast his email address and password to the whole world because he's not doing anything wrong, so why should he care if, uh, if everybody reads his emails, right? We doesn't have email. <laughs> oh, that's why. Does he have a phone? Yeah, he has uh, the phones that are about 90 years old. <laughs> I gotcha. All right. Thanks for the call, Barbara. I do appreciate it. Let me go to uh, Carol in also in L.A. Hey, Carol, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, thank you. Um, yes, I just uh, wanted to say I'm, I'm terrified of <clears throat> the potential, um, the loss of civil liberties and 
uh, the loss of uh, protections under the Fourth Amendment. And when I uh, look at history and I think about Nazi Germany and how it slipped into t- to totalitarianism, I-, I can see that there was a specific uh, incident also in response to perceived terrorist threat, uh, in 1933, which I think uh, really was a tipping point, and that was the Reichstag fire decree, where uh, what is, I'll quote, it says, the Constitution of the German Reich is suspended until further notice, and it says, thus restrictions on personal liberty, on the right of freedom, uh, expression of opinion, including freedom of the press, on the right of assembly, the right of association, and there it is, violations of the privacy of postal, telegraphic, and telephonic communications, and warrants for house searches, orders for confiscations, as well as restrictions on property, are permissible beyond the legal limits otherwise prescribed. Yeah, well, that's it. After the Reichstag fire, they essentially uh, suspended the Constitution. That is essentially what we did after 9-11. And here we are all of these years later, and and we are still doing it. We're suspending the Constitution, saying, well, you know, our our security is more important uh, than our privacy. Our security is more important than the the founding documents. Um, And yet... Everyone and, seems to be okay with that, Carol. And with no way to get it back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the problem. Thanks, Carol. Uh, I appreciate your call. A lot of folks uh, calling in. Let me see if I can get to as many as possible. Uh, Maya, where are we here? Maya in San Clemente, welcome to the Hi. broadcast. Hello. Hi. Hi. I uh, had a question. I'm a member of the American Library Association, and on our blog we were asked to write a number uh, to call and write our representatives and ask them to support the, is it the A. Hirsch Amendment? Uh, the AMASH, uh, Justin AMASH, A-Mash. right, and, and John Conyers have an amendment that they're actually debating, as I understand it, today on the floor of the House. Uh, exactly. Republican yeah. Justin AMASH and uh, Democrat John Conyers, both from Michigan, that would suspend funding for these mass surveillance programs uh, with the NSA. Right, right. So, yeah, we a number of us called in and asked them to support it. Uh, my my uh, guy here in San Clemente said, yes, of course he would support it. So um, what were you think? What were your thoughts on that? You well, think it's worth yeah, well, uh, Ron Wyden, as we were playing uh, earlier, uh, he was delighted about this amendment. He was delighted about this oh. debate. Uh, interestingly, um, I just saw a tweet from uh, our friend Glenn Greenwald, who's been reporting on the uh, Snowden disclosures. He said Edward Snowden did what he did to make everyone aware of all of this and to prompt precisely this debate. That was his motive, uh, says Glenn Greenwald. And we're finally having that debate. So, you know, I think that debate is a good thing. It doesn't really matter, in my opinion, you know, what I think about this particular amendment or not. The point is these secret laws are insane. And that's the point that Ron Wyden has been trying to make. And by the way, speaking of the secrecy, once this uh, Justin Amash, John Conyers amendment came out uh, this last night from uh, uh, Ryan Grimm and Matt Sledge at Huffington Post, 
The NSA's Keith Alexander, he's the uh, general in charge of the NSA, calls emergency private briefing to lobby against the AMASH amendment uh, curtailing the NSA's power. Of course, he wants to lobby against it, but he wants to do it in secret and not in public. And it just sort of underscores the madness here, uh, uh, Maya, it seems to me. Exactly. Yeah, that's what Snowden said. He wanted the American people to uh, make a decision on this, which is why he brought it out so that we can decide on this. And here they are doing it in secrecy. And here, exactly right. Thanks, Maya. I appreciate the call. Keep keep making noise out there. Uh, Jan in uh, Studio City. Uh, Welcome to the broadcast, Jan. Hi. Yeah, it's very important that we call our representatives about this and tell them we expect them to vote for that amendment. Uh, case in point, I got a, le- a form letter from the FDA asking me if I had a farm and if I was storing grain. I was trying to figure out how do they know even know anything about me. Oh, my emails. Wait, you, you got a, 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 a letter from who? An email from who? A letter from who? A letter from the FDA, a form letter, requesting me to fill it out, explaining whether or not I had a farm and whether or not I was storing grain. Do, do you have, do, do, are, are you a farmer? No. no. But the reason they uh, zeroed in on me is I sent emails signing up for gardening classes and also uh, got a grant to garden at my public school. That's how they found out about me. So the point is, just like James Banford said, they are recording all emails, all phone calls, even this one, and they can pull up what they need whenever. Why is this important? Apparently, according to, I believe it was Gary Null reported, uh, they are requiring all farmers now to list they uh, have on their farms in terms of crops, storage, equipment, etc. Well, They are... uh, Controlling food. That's what it's all about. All right. Thanks, Jan. I appreciate your call. And uh, Desi Doyen, our producer, uh, types in from the control room. When she heard your uh, your point there, she said, creepy. Yeah, kind of creepy. Yeah, it indeed. is creepy. When you think of Monsanto yeah. and what's going on, the organic farmers of Maui are having trouble uh, growing organics now because of the uh, aerosol spraying in the skies. That's a whole other issue. A whole so other issue, Jan. Thanks. I, let me... All right, thanks. I do appreciate your call. Let me get uh, in one more here before i got to get to a break. Ward, also in Los Angeles. Welcome to the broadcast, Ward. Hi, Brad. Hello, NSA. <laughs> uh, I've got an interesting talking point I think is kind of fun. Uh, you know, the president in the last couple of months keeps talking about having dialogues, but I don't think he really knows what the difference is with between that and a monologue. But last Thursday... He was talking to the white folks in America who have never apparently had a good enough black friend to find out what what it feels like growing up black in America. And he was talking about how bad it was, how insulting and obnoxious and disrespectful it was that a black man would walk through a department store and be followed. It was surveillance. It was profile. Well, I guess it. I guess yeah, but, it was. But I think it was about two or three weeks earlier. He was reassuring Americans that there was no problem, <laughs> that all of their communication was being reviewed. Uh, I think that's surveillance. It, it, and, it, and Brad, what's <laughs> the difference between metadata and profiling? 
Thank you. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll listen offline. Thanks, Ward. I appreciate the call. And, and you do make an interesting point and an interesting comparison. Well, the, the difference, uh, to answer your, your question about metadata and profiling, uh, in the case of metadata, um, they're, they're just collecting all of it. It's just a dragnet. They're collecting all of it. Uh, profiling, I guess, would be when they actually start looking at certain types of metadata, certain types of calls, certain types of people. Um, but this uh, this conversation will continue, uh, not unfortunately on today's show, I'm afraid, because uh, we're out of time as far as uh, this. If I'm going to hit this, uh, these these new election stories, uh, shoot. Uh, let me point you to Bradblog.com to get more on Ron Wyden's speech. Uh, I want to hit this very quickly. Uh, a new trial has been ordered for Clay County, Kentucky election officials found guilty in a massive election fraud conspiracy uh, back in uh, 2010. They were convicted eight high election officials in Clay County, Kentucky, including the county clerk, the um, a, a, circuit, a circuit court judge, the school superintendent. I mean, these were the top folks in this town. We reported on it for years at at Brad Blog. Among the things they were found to have been doing uh, through their uh, through the trial was uh, uh, buying and selling votes for hundreds of thousands of dollars in election after election after election over a period of decades. By the way, most recently. They were changing the votes of voters on electronic voting systems in 2006. <sighs> touchscreen voting systems, by the way, the same uh, touchscreen voting systems that are still used in dozens of states that we have warned about over and over on this show at bradblog.com. Uh, those eight uh, uh, folks who were found guilty of Uh, election fraud in 2002, 2004, 2006. They've been ordered to have a new trial uh, because uh, some of the information brought into the trial concerning a a drug running case, drug trafficking case, uh, was inappropriate to bring into the trial, according to the appellate court. So uh, these eight high election officials, county clerk, District Court Judge, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Circuit Court Judge and School Superintendent and many others uh, will get a new trial. They may be let out of jail now. Uh, And by the way, they were gaming Republican uh, primaries, because if you win the Republican primary in Clay County, Kentucky, you're uh, you're pretty much home free. It's uh, so rural, so poor and so Republican. Uh, in this county. So all they had to do was win the Republican primary and they were home free. And by the way, they were uh, the the judge uh, who was convicted as one of the ringleaders here was actually uh, uh, encouraged the uh, sister of someone who was in his court, a guy who was facing charges in, in his court, encouraged her to change her register registration from Republican to Democratic so that she could serve as a Democratic poll judge and then game the system for Republicans. So we're going to keep our eyes on that. You can get more at bradblog.com. Also in North Carolina, and this is active, this is going on right now, and uh, this is absolutely extraordinary. Following the gutting of the Voting Rights Act a few weeks ago by the Supreme Court, North Carolina Republicans, who now control uh, both houses uh, of the Congress there and the executive branch, the the governor uh, mansion, for the first time in 150 years, have put in place a radical, or trying to put in place, and looks like they'll succeed, a radical 
absolutely radical uh, voter suppression bill that will institute photo ID, that will shorten early voting, that will eliminate same-day registration and provisional uh, voting if it's at the wrong precinct, will shut down uh, voting uh, Sunday, early voting on Sundays. Will uh, this is just incredible? It, it will uh, end um, registration for 16 and 17 year olds who used to be able to register early. It will increase the number of people who can challenge voters inside the precinct. It purges voters' rolls more often. It's absolutely astounding. Maybe we'll get into it in more detail next week. Uh, but uh, please, uh, again, go to brandblog.com and check out what is going on in the way voting rights are now under assault in a way that they couldn't have been had the Voting Rights Act still been in place in places like North Carolina. The Republicans are desperate here, and they are doing everything they can to gerrymander the state and to hang on uh, to their control in what used to be a pretty progressive state as far as, uh, as, far as southern uh, southeast states go. It's an amazing story. We'll get to it next week. Let's do some green news. It's not easy being green. Okay, Desi Doyen. Uh, it seems you blend in with so many other that's you. ordinary things. You're in. Yes, I am. Uh, I am here. What, uh, and, and we're running late, and I want to get to our full Green News report because uh, we didn't have it last week because you weren't here, and uh, I screwed it up. And I fired you anyway for that. So um, uh, let me get to, uh, well, I, I had a, a question for you about uh, Obama's uh, speech today because he talked about green jobs. Yes. And uh, <laughs> he's been trying to uh, increase the solar and everything else and the power grid. Uh, but, well, you know what? We'll talk about that next week, too, because I want to get to the Green News Report. Okay. And I'll let you take a look at it. And uh, 20,000 jobs for Keystone XL? <laughs> no, that's true? not true. Not true. All right, let's do the Green News Report. Hit it, G. I am so pumped. New EPA administrator, new fights over fracking and emissions. Deadly British heat wave. Deadly floods in India. U.S. heat wave shuts down nuclear plants. Radioactive water leaking from Fukushima. Plus, Russia building floating nuclear power plants. What could possibly go wrong? All of that and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news politics, analysis, and snarky comment. All of science has become politicized. Huh, I wonder how that happened, Rush. Science has been corrupted, too. Look at global warming. Yeah, look at that. Life, we only have one, and it's not meant to be spent in denial. Oh, the irony. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, a lot of really bad, really troubling weather news across the globe today. This just in London has its hottest day in seven years. It was 92 degrees on Monday. Most disturbingly, the death toll is now nearing 800 in London over the heat wave over the past two weeks there. Very troubling. Yes, because most buildings in Britain are not equipped with air conditioning, less than 1%. So people are really not prepared for these excessive heat events that we're seeing more often with climate change. Of course, everybody's paying attention to the baby and not to the 800 people who have died over the past two weeks. Right, and these extreme swings are what scientists were warning about. This is right after Britain had one of their wettest and coldest years on record. Now, the climate change denial industry is shifting tactics. They're saying it's too expensive to reduce the fossil fuel emissions that are causing 
causing global warming. They're conveniently ignoring the rising death toll of extreme weather disasters. Catastrophic flooding in India that we reported on last month has now been officially declared the fourth deadliest weather disaster on the planet since 2000. A record early monsoon season hit southern India with weeks of record rain caused massive flooding that killed at least 6,000 people. That's 6,000 people killed by an extreme weather event, and it was virtually unreported in the U.S. corporate media. Last week's heat wave in the U.S. did make the news for breaking records across the country, like in Washington, D.C., that saw the longest streak of high temperatures on record. That stayed above 80 degrees for five days straight, beating the most recent heat streak that was set just two years ago. That same excessive heat wave forced several nuclear power plants in the U.S. to power down right when they were needed most. Why? Because the seawater that was used to cool those reactors was too hot to use. The seawater, not river water lake water, seawater was too hot to use. Right, because of the heat wave. Higher temperatures do come with summer, of course, but these extreme swings and extreme events are increasing in frequency just as climate scientists predicted. You know, it's amazing. Scientists have been warning about what will happen in, you know, decades from now. But if you look at the death toll, if you look what we are facing already from climate change, from global warming, uh, it's astounding when taken in aggregate. And it seems like nobody is connecting the dots out there. They're trying to over at the EPA, where Gina McCarthy was finally allowed to become administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency after a protracted fight. And she did hit action on climate change in her first video message to EPA employees. We have a clear responsibility to act now on climate change. That's what President Obama has called on us and the American people so that we protect future generations. This agency has the courage to act. But congressional Republicans and coal state Democrats are resorting to an old tactic to halt the EPA, gutting the EPA's budget by one third and defunding the EPA's new standards to cut pollution from power plants in the new budget proposal that House Republicans are putting together. They've also just voted to not fund energy efficiency standards for light bulbs and ceiling fans that would have saved consumers money on their electricity bills. Right. But that's the House. They can vote on whatever they want. It's not going to pass in the Senate. It's not going to be signed by the president. We hope. Meanwhile, an anonymous EPA official admitted last week that the EPA dropped several investigations into groundwater pollution caused by fracking operations because of heavy industry pressure. New draft rules were just issued by the EPA telling the oil and gas industry to stop and shut down wastewater injection wells that are causing earthquakes. We'll see if that rule survives industry pressure. In Japan, TEPCO finally admits that radioactive water is leaking into the ocean. After years of denial, the company that owns the devastated Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant acknowledged the leaks have been flowing probably for two years. You mean all of those crazy conspiracy theorists like Bradblog.com were, were right to warn about this? Absolutely. Go figure. Which makes Russia's newest nuclear scheme even more questionable. The Russian government is planning to use floating nuclear power plants in the Arctic. You heard that right, putting modified nuclear reactors that would be used to power ships on floating platforms to generate electricity for remote areas of the Arctic. They're going to put floating nuke plants in the same place that Shell tried to put floating oil platforms up in the Arctic? Same idea. And kept running aground? Yep. Brilliant idea. What could possibly go wrong? For much more on that and the other stories we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, find us and like us on the Facebook and follow us 24-7 on the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your 
Green News Report. From Russia with love, I fly to yeah, so we got to fly out of here, Desi Doyen. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, quickly, tomorrow on the Green News Report. Oh, we'll have uh, more info on the uh, drilling rig that has uh, on fire in the Gulf right now. Oh, great. Yeah, another one. Greennews.bradblog.com. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to G, our soundboard operator. Stay tuned for, oh, and my thanks to David Dayen. Stay tuned for John Wiener and the 4 o'clock report. More on Obama's economic speech. We will be back, same Brad time, same Brad channel next week. On the broadcast. Until then, I'll find you, or you'll find me at bradblog.com and on the Twitters at the Bradblog. Good night, America.